Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida. She is... An author, psychic reader, and witch, and you can find her at MsAida.com. M I S S A I D A dot com. Also, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of "It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us," and this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at TarotByGinger.com, and she is a tarot reader medium, healer, and um, she can pretty much do it all. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Rebecca Pittman. She has been on a couple of times before. She has written some books on the paranormal, on serial killers, and she's a really interesting guest. And thank you for coming on again today. Oh, Gary, thank you for having me back. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. Um, so, I don't know if I've ever really talked about, you know, how you actually got into being interested in the paranormal and serial killers. Well, the paranormal, um, I realized at an early age that my mother had some kind of psychic ability. And at that point, I realized there was more going on out there that I realized, but it started when I was, I lived only 35 minutes from the Stanley hotel in Estes park, Colorado. And that was Stanley is the impetus for Stephen King to Mm -hmm. write his blockbuster, the shining. And I was surprised no one had written a comprehensive book about the hotel. And it is very haunted. And the uh, owner gave me permission, and while I was writing that, someone said, have you heard of the Myrtle's Plantation? And that just took off from there. But um, I find, and I've talked to people about this before, paranormal and true crime have a lot of overlapping commonalities. They're puzzles and clues and the unknown and... It wasn't much of a segue to go from paranormal into true crime. I think they're the two biggest selling genres. Right. So for me, it's the clues and the puzzles and the mystery. So, like, what was going on with your mom? It's very odd. I don't know. When my sister and I are a year apart, we were like six and seven years old. Uh, We were riding in the car with her in California, and all of a sudden she whipped over to the side of the car and burst out crying and said, my mother just died. And this was way before cell phones or anything else. We were on the way to see her brother. And at first I thought she'd hit something. I mean, she literally just whipped off the road and burst out crying. And when you're young, it's kind of scary, and I'm sitting there going, what? Because our grandmother lived in a different state. So she pulled herself together. We pull up in her brother's driveway, my uncle, 
he came out the door crying and said, sis, mom just died. And that's something that stays with you. Yeah. Um, so it started from there. Then she could meet any of our friends for the first time, tell them what their bedroom looked like, which parent they were closer to, what their grades were. And as I got older and did theater, we had a cast party at my house. And my mom happened to be there. I was in my 20s by now. And she went around to all these strangers that she'd never met, told them everything about themselves. And when she got to the one lady that was my um, was one of the other actresses in the play, we were doing Blythe Spirit, she paused and said, sweetheart, I... I think I would rather tell you yours in private. And this lady looked surprised, and she'd always been so bubbly and happy. I'd never seen her down. She goes, well, don't be silly. Go ahead. And she goes, no, I would really rather not. And she goes, really? Go ahead. And my mom said, your husband's cheating on you, and you just found out last night. Hmm. And all of us just, our jaws dropped. She burst into tears. How in the world she knew that is beyond me. That's crazy. So, yeah, I just, I've always wished I had that. I know the house we lived in, the man died in it before we moved in, and she could sense him all the time. She would have actually blackout spells in the one of the bathrooms. She would smell cigar smoke and then just feel like she was going to pass out and there was something in that house that really bothered her so i don't know gary i just i always felt a little jealous and yet people have said <laughs> with all of the um paranormal that happens to me and every place i go to write about they think right. i'm sensitive a little bit i don't think so i don't know what it is but anyway that's the, the answer to your question is she she was remarkable that is incredible. And was she like that from a child or just? Um, I don't know. It, I, that's the first time I saw it was when I was seven and she was crying about her mother. I'd never really seen it demonstrated before. It didn't happen often, but that house seemed to have an effect on her. She finally quit going in that bathroom. She would literally hang on to the sink because this black wave would come over her. And I said, well, Mom, quit going in there. <laughs> so, anyway. Wow. How about her mom? I mean, sometimes this runs in families. No, her mother ended up uh, dealing with senility in her last years. She didn't even recognize my mom in the later years. So I don't, I had never heard of anyone in the family with it. Now here's something you might find interesting. And I don't know if this is where it came from, but I've heard of people when they've had a traumatic head injury that it has changed them. And we were driving in California. We were li little, we were in the back seat. We pulled up behind this truck that had the the big ball and hook, you know, one of those crane trucks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he had stopped at the traffic light in front of us. We were right behind him. He suddenly started backing up. And there was nowhere for us to go. And he kept backing up until he hit our car. The crane let go of the ball and the hook. And that giant metal hook came flying through the windshield and hit her in the head. And they did end up shaving her head and putting two metal plates in her head. 
And I, that might have been it. I don't know. You've heard of that, right? Of people have, being changed after they've had a head injury? Head injuries, trauma, yes, absolutely. That could have been it. Interesting. Would you like to hear something funny? Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. Well, we were in Florida, and this was after this. And we just moved into that. We were My mom was divorced, and the three of us had to sleep in one bed one night. Again, we were small, Marlene and I. And it was a brand new house, brand new place. I'd never lived in Florida, and I was a little nervous. In the middle of the night, I hear a man talking, and I was petrified. I thought we had a ghost. It happened again the next night. Then I heard strange music coming from somewhere. And finally, I nudged my mom to wake her up. And I said, I think this house is haunted. And every time I woke her up, it stopped. And she goes, Rebecca, you're dreaming. I said, no, I'm not. So one night it happened again. And I thought, I'm going to gently roll over and wake her so it doesn't scare off whatever it is. And as I leaned over her face, I realized the sounds were coming out of her mouth. And it's because she, her mouth would fall open while she was asleep. And she was facing the fan, the metal fan that was going. And for some reason, it was reacting with the metal plates in her head and bringing in a radio signal. <laughs> wow. So she was like an antenna. Yeah. So what I'd been hearing was announcers and music, but it was coming out of her mouth. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. that'll save you money like on the uh, Sirius XM subscription. Yes, I know. <laughs> I just thought that was the craziest thing, but it had to have been that metal fan reacting with the plates in her head. That's the only thing I can think of. Wow. You know, sometimes too, like like I think that you know, our brains, you know, like we th we always think we're thinking our own thoughts. But one of my theories is that the brain is not actually thinking its own thoughts, but it's acting as a receiver. Oh, I love that. You know, or it's actually, you know, pulling information from somewhere else. So from where, though? Past, present, future, aliens? Where do you think it's coming from? Um... Collective consciousness, um, the Akashic Records, someplace like that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. It's interesting. I'd like to. I'd like to understand dreams more. Dreams are fascinating. I wish I could remember my dreams better. Mine, I, I don't know why, but I remember them really almost verbatim. Um. It's funny. I'll lose them after a while if I don't write them down in the first 10 minutes when I wake up. But some of them are really wackadoodle. And I'm going, okay. Um, but, yeah, I, the co consciousness and the brain are something that just absolutely fascinate me. Do you know much about neuroplasticity? A little bit, yes. I think that's awesome. That you can actually rewire your brain and and get rid of bad habits, and literally like re re recording it. I mean, I just find that mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah, or like when you have a brain injury and you damage part of your brain, your brain will reroute everything and come up with a new way of doing it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, strange. that and prodigies and 
I mean, well, let me ask you this, and, and let me know if we're getting off topic. I wasn't sure what you wanted there, there, to There's talk no about. topic here. Which there's no topic? Okay, how about them Broncos? Can we please get a good quarterback? No, 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 because I'm, I'm an Eagles fan, so we're doing oh, fantastic. Never mind, never mind. Um, what do you think about these, like, two-year-olds that recall a life they couldn't possibly have known anything about? I think that they are reincarnated, or not. Sometimes I, I will, you know, or I, or maybe our definition of reincarnation is wrong. You know, it is possible that, you know, let let let's say we're all energy, right? And our 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 soul is not necessarily a specific soul, um, but some of that energy or a lot of that same energy ends up in the same body. Therefore, giving a person the same memories and some of the same identity as the life before where that energy was living. So you're saying that it's not necessarily reincarnation in the form of being in the same body again, but it was the spirit or energy of someone who had lived before inhabiting a new body. Somewhat, yeah, or or like the, a majority of it. Because sometimes I I also think that maybe some of us might be a combination of different people. Ooh, that's scary. <laughs> like 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 you know like like I'm not necessarily all me. I'm me yeah. and maybe a couple of other people that lived before me. And that wow. to me, some t- partly kind of explains why we don't remember things from a past life where past life memories tend to be kind of jumbled. Well, I, I did actually go to a hypnotherapist once and I said, I have this thing about feeling trapped and it pervades everything in my life. Um, whether I used to paint wall murals and I've painted like 4,000 wall murals across the country and I would feel trapped once I got there and had to start drawing on the wall and paint. I knew I couldn't leave until it was perfect. You can't just start somebody's wall and go, I'm out of here. So, but it wasn't just that. I, I would feel trapped all the time in situations. And I said, but I don't remember ever being physically trapped. I don't mind being in a small closet as long as I know I can get out when I want to. I said, the only times I've had a panic attack is if I was trapped like in an elevator that broke, which did happen, and they didn't know when they could get me out. Hmm. And I said, but I've had this my whole life. And right. she wondered if it might have been from a prior life and because I never was able to figure out where that came from. I've had things like that too, like my fear of heights. And I've had like a weird fear so- it's not anymore, but before I had like this weird fear of bridges. Of bridges? Yeah, like suspension bridges. Wow. So I wonder like, like you didn't want I, to go across them? Yeah. So sometimes I wonder like maybe I drove off of a bridge or something in a past life. Well, there had to be some reason for it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, it, it was weird. I mean, then, you know, I had an epileptic seizure, and ever since the seizure, now I'm no longer afraid of bridges. So, You're kidding. No. 
Oh wow, that's that is really fascinating. <laughs> that's that's really weird. Don't you want to find out why? I do, and you know, one of my goals for 2022, which I did not get to do, was to have a past life regression to try to find out what <laughs> is behind some of this. Because you know, everything up to now that I have is a theory or what I've listened to other people tell me, but I've never done it myself. I would love to do that. I I know the old joke is it's funny. Everyone thinks that they used to be somebody, you know, important. Why weren't they ever just a chimney sweep in a prior life? You know, Mm -hmm. I must have been Cleopatra. Well, it is interesting that most people think that they were somebody very important. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wish I had five more lives to just delve into all of this. Mm. I wonder, well, I don't know. I must be just somebody who drove off the side of a bridge or something. A bad driver in a past life. A bad... <laughs> <laughs> or a wannabe, a wannabe deep sea diver. One of the two. <laughs> I don't mean to be teasing you about that. I like it, though. Well, it, that's one of the reasons I like true crime is... The aberration of of conscious. What seriously? These people don't have a conscience, mm-hmm. and so to watch what they do to other people, just to get their way, to they feel enabled right up to the point of taking a life, if it benefits them. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just I think it's the voyeuristic nature in all of us that we can't help but look to see what made this person the way they are. It's like watching a wreck when you go past it. You have to turn around and look. It's just, but for me, psychology is fascinating. And with serial killers, or just not necessarily serial killers, but people who will take another life, why, where did it come from? And then my favorite part is what tripped them up to where they got caught. Uh, That is actually my favorite part. Um, because nine times out of ten, they think they're invincible and the rules don't apply to them and they're going to get away with it, especially those that do it more than once. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing about Pam Hupp, and I don't know if you saw the NBC minis series where Renee Zellweger played Pam Hupp this year. It was on in March and April. No, um, Oh my gosh, this woman had absolutely no conscience. She even pushed her own mother off a third floor balcony at her senior citizen living facility to get the insurance money, knifed her best friend 56 times, and left the knife sticking out of her neck, set up the woman's husband to take the fall, and he did go to prison for three and a half years before they realized he didn't do it. And then she went out and found a total stranger, literally trolled trailer parks, Hmm. and brought this guy back to her house under the pretense of being a producer for Dateline and said, I'll give you $1,000 if you come with me and do a fake 911 uh, track for a show. And this guy was mentally challenged. He had the mentality of a 12-year-old, physically limped couldn't drive she knew that when she got him in the car that uh, it just it it's just evil and so the the deal was 
she took him to her house and told him to go ahead and do what she told him to for the fake 911 call, bang on the walls and pretend that he was an intruder. Well, she actually called 911 so the dispatcher could hear it and be her, her witness. And Pam's yelling, help, help, there's an intruder in my house. And you hear poor Louis Gumpenberger, and he got the line wrong that he was supposed to say. He said, you want me to do to you what you did to your wife? And he got the line wrong. But she went ahead and said, no, no, I'm not going to get in the car with you. And the next thing you hear is five gunshots. Mm -hmm. And she shot him dead. This total stranger. And then put a note in his pocket to make it look like her friend's husband, who just got out of prison, had sent this guy to get her so that the guy would go back to prison hmm. and take and take the heat off of her because they were now looking at her for her friend's murder. Yeah. She set this guy up and just literally murdered a total stranger. It's just, I mean, holy heck. Well, it sounds like she had motive. One of the things I find is people that just kill with no motive. They just do it because it's who they are. It's like in their DNA. And I don't know what causes that. Like, like is, it, is it a childhood experience? Are they just born evil? Um, is it a learned thing from you know, you know, being beat up or whatever in school? Like what happens to people to make them get pleasure from killing other people? I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know if it's a wiring in their brain. I know, like with Ted Bundy, they they point to the fact that he found out he was illegitimate and grew up with all of this. And, you know, other people, they were locked in a closet by their parents and beaten. And there seems to be a tying thread that most of these people mutilated animals when they were young. It's yeah. amazing how many of them started out that way so there must have been some pleasure derived from doing that but what i can't imagine what it is other than having control over another person but there's a million ways to control other people just become an executive i think it's <laughs> sorry that took me a minute <laughs> yes just become a ceo um I, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a titillation for them. They get some adrenaline rush out of it. And for the rest of us who don't understand it, it is incredibly evil and, and odd, but the, it's like shoplifters on a whole different scale. But people that do things because it gives them a rush. And mm -hmm. unfortunately with killing, once you have done it, it feels like after a while, you've got to go out and do it again. You need that. It's almost like a drug fix. You've got to go do it again. Mm. I don't know. It is scary. I know. It, it's oh, weird. Yeah. I just, I just saw a, a show where they actually were taking pieces of Einstein's brain, trying to figure out why he was so smart. And didn't they do that with a serial killer? Didn't they? I don't know which one it was, but they dissected his brain to see if there was something they could find that was off? I'm sure they have. They've probably have done it with more than one brain. Wow. But it is scary. And you don't know. I went to high school with somebody who was murdered by a serial killer. 
Oh, you really did? I did, yeah. The guy, he was a truck driver, and I guess he saw her somewhere and followed her home. And when she in the house, she didn't lock her door. He went in it, and he, he cut off her head. Oh, good grief. Oh, my gosh. Horrible. I don't know. I don't know. What, I think what do you it's got to be the, a wiring. Do you think the, what about the existence of evil? Do you think there's a devil or demonic forces that might possess these people to cause them to do what they do? I can't rule it out. I, if I believe in God, which I do, then I have to believe there's also a devil, and I, I do. Um, I've never had anything demonic happen to me. If I did, I'd be out of there. The paranormal experiences I've had were benign. It's scary to have something poke you and you can't see it, but I've never felt like anything was really trying to hurt me. But yes, I do. I, I do believe that there are those forces out there. I don't know that that's the prevailing thing that causes people to kill, but I think I can't rule it out. Well, the son of Sam, do you believe he heard a dog talking to him? I do. I mean, he believes it, so I believe it. I believe he heard it, yes. Was, you know, what was it? What was he interacting with? I don't know. It it may have been some outside force, some outside consciousness communicating him to let, tell, you know, using tell, telepathy or something like that and he just identified it with the dog I honestly believe there are just sociopaths that have no conscience I think that's the prevalent thing behind most of this the the book I'm working on now Countdown to Murder Alec Murdoch it is a huge case going on in South Carolina, and his double murder trial is coming up in three weeks, January 23rd, in South Carolina. He's up for murdering his wife and 22-year-old son, uh, with one with an AR-15 and one with a shotgun. He used two different guns, mm-hmm. and they were killed at the same time, basically. Um but then that family is also tied in with their housekeeper's mysterious fall down a flight of brick steps out front. And um, after she, he was a personal, he's a personal injury attorney or was, he's been disbarred. Um, he, she had, the, the housekeeper had two young sons that were totally dependent on her income. He went to them at her funeral and said, tell you what I'm going to do. My dogs tripped your mom is why she fell. I'm going to sue myself. I'm going to sue my insurance company. That way you'll get money. And they're going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. They were living in a trailer. In fact, they were about to get evicted. And this is unbelievable, Gary. What he did, he brought in two other people to help him run this scam. He sued the insurance companies he had a friend sue him and you know sue the insurance companies got four million dollars and never gave those boys a dime Mm. kept the whole thing they got kicked out of the trailer they were homeless and now there's things bubbling up that there were no dogs that tripped this woman that there was some other reason that she quote fell uh, and then they're tied to another, two other deaths, including a young man found in the middle of a rural road with his face caved in. And um, 
a boat crash that killed a 19-year-old girl. So this is this is a family that, and I think this is a good answer to your question, because they were brought up rich. All of the grandfathers had been DAs, very wealthy family. And the sons were brought up to believe there were no circumstances. They could do anything they wanted. And when the young girl was killed in the boat crash, it was Alex's son, Paul, who was driving three times over the legal limit for alcohol. He hit a bridge piling and she went flying. They didn't find her until a week later and she was dead. She, I think she'd hit her head on a piling, but because of the title system in South Carolina that pulls in and out, they didn't find mm. her for a week. But everybody in these documentaries, and it's all over the place right now, HBO, Dateline, everything, mm -hmm. they're saying that be, these people that are brought up with privilege and no repercussions for their actions develop this mentality that nothing applies to them. And I think that is a big part of a sociopath's makeup. It's a narcissistic outlook that the rules don't apply to them, and that Includes taking another life if it benefits them. Yeah, I see. I understand. Like when it, when people would, will benefit from a murder, you know, like whether it's insurance money or or whatever it is, you know, trying to revenge all those type of things. I understand. Um, but people do it for pleasure. I don't yeah. understand it. And now I also wonder. You know, like when I was growing up as a kid, there was just serial killers. But now we have like the mass murderers too, like oh, people yeah. that go in and just kill ten or fifteen people at once, one time. And I wonder if the psychology between the mass murderer and the serial killer are the same, or if they're completely different. I think they're different um, because what I thought was interesting, if you look up a definition of a serial killer. They have to kill over a certain space of time to be designated a serial killer. It, and I thought it was interesting. They even said a month apart. I'm going, well, that's interesting. So a mass killing, like you just said, happens all at once. And I, I think the mindset's different. You don't have the months of premeditation and planning and everything you're going to do to get out of it, so to speak. And, and a lot of these mass killers end up killing themselves. Have they you do. noticed that? Yes, yeah. I think it is different because the serial killers will do anything to, to evade getting caught. And they like the recognition, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know. But that's, again, that's what fascinates me because they are so egotistical is what tripped them up. What was that final thing that got him caught? I just love that stuff. I actually worked with the prosecutors mm -hmm. and detectives on the Pam Hupp case. And, you know, we would talk a lot about it and this and that. And that having that kind of inside information not only was very beneficial for the book, but I appreciated their faith in me that I wasn't going to, you know, if they said you can't print this, I didn't print it. But talking to them, they would let me in on other cases that they, and it, it, it's just shocking. And there's just no end to it. I mean, oh my gosh, true crime cases just pop up every day. 
And so you wonder about your neighbor. You wonder about the guy next to you at work. It seems like anybody could snap. And we never know what the other person's really like. Pam Huff was just a housewife. That mm-hmm. was the word they used for her. She, you would never have guessed she was capable of this stuff. Do you ever? Do you think that any of these people were actually good people at one point, and they just went bad? Mm. I think the propensity to do what they did was probably there at an early age. They may have been able to keep it under wraps. It may have started out like, for instance, rapists usually start out as, you know, with the voyeurism thing, peeking through windows, and then it escalates and escalates. I don't think anybody wakes up one morning and says, I want to be a serial killer when I grow up. I think it comes in stages, and they may even have tried to fight it off, those impulses, but once they do it, and especially if they got away with it, I think that's where the trouble starts. That's just my own opinion. It's weird. I, I don't understand what goes on with these people. Yeah. Well, luckily you don't, or then I'd worry <laughs> about you. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the freakiest ones like I've always thought about, like, like Ted Bundy always was like fascinating because cause one, like, like he – he was not like the socially awkward guy. You know, he was sort of like, you know, life at a party type of guy. He was attractive. He, he had no problem getting women. And, but yeah, he was like the most diabolical, cruel, evil person to ever live. Well, I'll tell you a scary story. Um, when I was first married, I was living in Salt Lake City. And as you know, he went, ended up going to the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. When he left Washington after killing all those girls, he came to Utah for his law degree. Well, anyway, I got married. I was 21, and we moved into what they call the Avenues, which is above the Capitol building in Salt Lake. It's kind of a hillside area, and all of the streets are named after letters. And we moved into this little duplex. We were newlyweds, and it was on N Street. And all of these, and it was, my, my husband worked late. He was getting an electrical engineering degree. And I would walk around the neighborhood at night. Uh, there was a little convenience store that I would walk down to to get milk or whatever. And I looked a lot like the girls he murdered. I had long hair parted in the middle. I'm tall. And mm-hmm. one of his victims was six feet. And to come to find out, and I didn't find out until I had moved to Colorado, that he was living one street over (laughs) on O Street while I was walking around that neighborhood at night. Also, the girl he kidnapped from Murray that survived, that's where my mother mother taught modeling. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of fashion shows. He kidnapped her from the mall where we did most of our fittings for fashion shows. And it seemed like Everywhere he was, I was there, and he was dumping bodies up in the mountains that I'd go, I'd take them. I had a Maverick grabber that was a V8 engine, and I'd make my own roads up the side of the mountain. Uh And my mom would be going, Becky, would you quit going to the mountains by yourself? I didn't know he was up there dumping bodies. I didn't even know he was around. And so 
I that's just bizarre. When I read about it later in Ann Rule's book, the hairs on my arm stood up that he was one street over while we were living there. Wow, that's scary. You yes. Could, you could have you could have easily been one of his victims and you were not. Yep. I'm and I was I walked around at night a lot. I just I don't know. But so let me ask you this. You've done a lot of shows. What mm-hmm. has been one of your most fascinating topics? Um as as a tough question. You know, I mean I I always love talking about you know, UFOs and aliens and things like that, because I believe that there's life, not just outside and other planets, but I also believe that some of the phenomena that we experience comes from other dimensions. Um, so, you know, I would say about, like my favorite topics are, are sort of like, like on the quantum level type of stuff, you know, things about oh, like by location, um, you know, it, it that that whole whole quantum thing just fascinates me because it explains things that we're talking about now, like the paranormal, reincarnation, and stuff like that. Quantum physics is one of my favorites. Quantum entanglement, I think, is my mm-hmm. favorite. That you can take a particle, split it in half, put one half of it in Switzerland and the other half here, and if you stimulate the one here, the one in Switzerland reacts. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's that whole zero point field, yeah. that whole magnetic field that everything's connected, right? Yes, yeah, and, and that's an ancient philosophy or theory or whatever that that's been around. You know, it's in Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism. You know, all all those religions talk about everything being con- interconnected. Well, isn't that how telepathy is? That's how it works. I don't think we know I mean, how it because works, thoughts but, are a but frequency. it's possible, yeah. But one of the things about the, the entanglement that fascinates me is when you do something to one of these particles, the other one reacts, and it could be on the other side of the world, time does not is not an issue. It happens instantaneously. So it Isn't actually, that cool? It happens faster than the speed of light, which makes yep. me think that you know the speed of thought is faster than the speed of light. That's just, and I love that they said they have measured thoughts, that they have a frequency. Mm-hmm. It's just, that just fascinates me. Uh, with the UFO thing, this is kind of funny. My husband loves ancient aliens. I, I do too. I've interviewed He's quite always, a few of them. <laughs> he always walks around saying, uh, ancient astronaut theorists, theorists say yes. And I'm going, if you say that one more time. <laughs> but so he, you know, I said, I, how can you not believe in UFOs? And that's your favorite show. He goes, I do believe in UFOs. I just don't believe in aliens. I said, well, who do you think's flying them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, do you think it's a remote control somewhere? So I find that, and he's dead serious. He doesn't believe in aliens, but he believes in UFOs. So I'm totally lost. I don't understand that one either. <laughs> I, I mean... I, I think there's a lot more going on than just visitors to another planet. I believe that some of these extraterrestrials operate through consciousness. Mm, so, so, that's they, a good so they're not actually physical beings. Some of them might be like light beings and things like that. 
Do you think parallel dimensions come into it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, th I think it all does. It's all because in one I had a guest on who told me, you know, about the CE5 technique where you kind of meditate and you call, try to call a UFO. And I did it a couple of times. And then one night I got results and I saw a UFO for the first time. Are you serious? Yeah. So I think there's a definite connection between extraterrestrials and UFOs and consciousness. What? Tell me what you saw. Um, I was sitting outside and I was looking up at the sky. I was laying, laying like a, in a chase lounge. And um, at first I saw a light moving across the sky and it was moving straight. And um, so at first I thought it was a satellite. And then all of a sudden it just went in the complete opposite direction really fast and disappeared. Wow. So, well, you, you know, when, when people have said they've seen the lights in the sky and then they'll blink and go out and reappear, do you think they're popping in and out of different dimensions and frequencies? Yes, yes. Because our perception of what we can perceive as far as light and frequency and sound is very limited. We don't even know how much frequencies there are. You know, mm -hmm. we just know what we can perceive through our five senses, and then we know what we can perceive with, with the equipment that we've been able to create so far. I would like to understand um, string theory better. But, yeah, that's, I don't know, that, ley lines, the you know, the, mm -hmm. the energy of the earth, all of that. I'll, oh, I have one for you. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay. So, crop circles. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out, and you may already know this, but a plethora of them seem to happen close to Stonehenge. And I thought, that's interesting. Why? And is it the artifact itself that they travel to this spot? But then when I dug deeper, I found out that just very close to it, underneath, were these aquifers of water, you know, trapped in, and it happened to be chalk fields, uh -huh. and water amplifies energy. And Stonehenge is on a ley line of energy anyway, so you add that to water that amplifies it, 98% of the crop circles happening were happening right there above those chalk fields. I thought that's not a coincidence, because right, you know, a little farther up in the same field area, mm -hmm. None of them were happening, but right above where that water was contained is where they were happening. So to me, they're using some kind of electromagnetic field, something they're doing to create the crop circles. And I, you know there's heat involved because they found out the nodules on the bent over stalks of corn or whatever. They're showing an explosion of heat coming out of there. I don't think they even have to touch the ground. They're using I don't know if I want to say a laser mm -hmm. but when you hear that people have flown over an area and ten minutes later come back and there's a crop circle that wasn't there that's pretty fast. Okay, So there's somebody that, that I, I can't remember her name. I'm trying to look it up now but but Michelle connected me with her who, who booked you and um she was visiting Stonehenge, 
And she heard that there was a crop circle nearby. So she went to check out the crop circle. When she was in the crop circle, she went unconscious. Wow. When she awoke from that, she had psychic abilities. It changed her life forever. You're kidding me. No. Did she know how long she was out? It was like a half hour. It was long. That's really cool. I can't remember her name. I have to go back through all my episodes to try to find her. It's been, I've had her on a couple of times. I love all the mysteries. I don't really want to solve them all, mm-hmm. but I'd sure like to know more about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the pyramids of Giza are built on ley lines and aquifers. Yes. And I still believe that the main tower, the largest tower or uh, pyramid, was a machine. I think it it generated electricity and sound. And there, there, there was no sarcophagus ever found inside of it. It wasn't a tomb for a king. And uh, we're going there, actually, in about a month. And I can't wait. I've never been to Egypt. So uh, I just find that really interesting that of all the places they could have built them, they built them on top of an aquifer that generates electricity. And it was the ebb and flow of the Nile that would cause it to pulsate. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it generated sound and possibly for healing. Um, I don't know. I just think that's very cool. It is cool. I'm trying to find her name, Doctor Mary Helen Hensley. That's the one that was in the crop circle. Yes, that's what it was. Did she write a book? Yeah, yeah. Michelle could connect you with her. Okay, I'd like to I'd like to read that. So does she still have the ability or did it kind of come and go? No, she has it. Huh. And she's a paranormal investigator too. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that happened to me, I'd know there was something else out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think all that's connected to ley lines, to pyramids, to energy. But I do think too that it's extraterrestrial in origin, and I think also the extraterrestrial angle has to connect with like Atlantis and Lemuria. Well, yes, and then the Mayan Empire, the mm-hmm. things on the yeah, because there's no way when these people could not communicate with each other back then that their temples look so much alike. Their, hierogly- their hieroglyphics contain a lot of the same symbolism that looks like aliens and spacecraft and everything. Some commonalities in language. It had to be, Gary. I mean, what are the odds that clear across the world these places popped up at the same time almost? Is it possible? Unless, I just, unless I those aliens or... Another possibility is that humans were much more advanced and somehow we got downgraded. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either, but if you look at Egypt, that's a good point because leading up to Egypt, there was nothing, no civilization that came close. Bam, suddenly here's the Egyptians with all of the things they did. They even created batteries. 
And yet you'd think that the civilization that came after them would normally evolve. They'd be even smarter. But no, it went back. It went backwards. And suddenly it's like it's encapsulated on both sides by fairly archaic means of living. How do you explain that? Don't we normally evolve and build off of the people that came before us? And yet it, it, they were nothing like the Egyptians. Hmm. No, no, it's weird. You know, I'm interested to find out what they're going to find in South America because the, you know, they've done LIDAR, you know, all over the Amazon and they're finding out there's those entire civilizations that are buried there that have yet to been dug up. Yeah. There's little pyramids showing up all over the place. Mm -hmm. What is the place in Turkey that they're saying is probably the oldest? Tebeke Tip. I always Gobek, get that Gobekli wrong. Tepe. Yes, thank you. I would love to see that. And it has so many similarities to Stonehenge. It does. It's very interesting. A lot, a lot of these places have, you know, that, that circular shape. And it, it's incredible. I, and the T-bars across the top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no. uh, there's something about that. I don't know if it creates a portal, but there's got to be a reason that the structures are similar. Yes. It, it, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, so, so when you do your paranormal investigation, like what, what is it you're really looking for? I mean... You know, we all start out looking for ghosts or, or, or evidence and things like that. But it's also a spiritual thing. For you, what is it you hope to find? What is it you're searching for? You promise not to make fun of me? I promise. Absolutely. I wasn't looking. And I think that's why things happen to me so much. I was there because I was researching the book. Because these places I write about are historic landmarks of, in their own right mm -hmm. and have these fascinating backgrounds, whether it's Salem or Versailles. And the paranormal stuff happens to me while I'm spending the night in these places to write about them. And yeah, going in, I knew they were listed in the top 10 most haunted mm -hmm. kind of thing. I have no ghost hunting equipment. I have a tape recorder with me that because I'm interviewing people and I have picked up some things inadvertently that way. Every single thing that happens to me is when I'm not looking for it. I don't go around saying, show me a sign. Um, I, it, Limp, Limp Mansion in St. Louis is so incredibly haunted. They introduced lager beer to America in the mid 1800s. And we're talking St. Louis beer brewing capital um the anheuser-busch although it was just bush at the time were their best friends and mm -hmm. and limp is l-e-m-p so their the mansion is still there um it's been restored like it was in the beer bear you know these guys were super rich their brewing records still stand and i'm spending the night there and three of these limp uh, males of the family shot themselves in this mansion over the generations. This was not all at once. And I had to get up 
at 5.30 the next morning to go to um, Louisiana to, to work on the Myrtle's Plantation book. And it was 5.30, and I'm, I'm laying there thinking, okay, I've got it. When I get there, I've got to get a rental car. All of a sudden, in the hallway, bang, bang, whoop, really loud. And I felt like somebody poured ice water through my veins. I was on the second floor. There were no dogs. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't muffled. It sounded like somebody was in the hallway shooting somebody. And I laid there for a minute because I literally was shocked to death. And my sister had spent the night and her 20-year-old son who was sleeping over on the couch. And I looked over and he raised up on his elbow and I said, Bo, did you hear those gunshots? He goes, no, but I heard a dog, a really big one. And I think the gunshots woke him up. Well, as I'm researching this book, I later find out that Charles Lamp, the last one to shoot himself in the mansion, shot his dog first and then himself because he didn't want to leave the dog alone. And it was like it was the house playing back this loop. It was a residual energy. But what's always bothered me was the sequence that the gunshots were first and the dog barked last. You'd think if he shot the dog, you'd hear the barking first and then two shots. Mm-hmm. That still bothers me. I don't know what, what that sequence meant unless he shot at the dog and missed the first time. I don't know. That is weird. But something sat on the bed um, on my feet and kicked the bed while I stayed there. I've stayed there several times. Something happens every time I'm there. And we were just there a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I had a book signing. And uh, the owner sent me to the gift shop, which is at the back of the house in a vault. There's no windows. It is literally a vault, like a big metal door, like you'd see in a bank that you have to turn this big wheel to go in there. We're gathering up the books. And all of a sudden, right by our feet, we heard, Meow! Really loud. There is no cat. <laughs> we just look. We just look down, and my husband goes, "That was a cat." I said, "I know," and I'd been there a lot of times. He had. This was his first time that he went with me. I said, "Welcome to Limp Mansion." <laughs> there, huh. there was nothing there, and I called up to the owner who was upstairs in her office. I said, "Patty, did you guys get a cat?" She goes, "Oh Lord, did a cat get in here?" And I said, well, but it, it couldn't have. We're standing right here. There was nowhere for it to go. Oh, that cat. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. She's actually seen a candlelight itself. She'd be sta- she was standing there talking to somebody, and this candle on one of the mantles, just the flame just suddenly leapt up. And she said that it had not been lit in forever. It was just a decoration. And that was the exact room where Billy Limp shot himself. Hmm. So super haunted. But to get back to what we were talking about, I don't go looking for it. It just seems to happen. And I'm incredibly sentimental. I don't know if they pick up on that. I mean, I'm the kind that wants a ghost to just come sit by me and tell me what happened to it. And I don't know if that's what it is, but boy, it happens a lot. Have Now, you've seen a UFO. Have you had any other paranormal things? 
Oh, geez. All right. I started when I was a kid. I saw a ghost of my grandmother. Um, I've been, I've been to seances. I've been on paranormal investigations. So yeah, I mean, I, I've seen all sorts of things. <laughs> and, did it um, scare you, or did you just feel like, wow, this is cool? I just think it's cool. I'm fascinated. I'm not afraid at all of it. That is so neat. Yeah, I think it's a gift that we were that they let us see it you know yeah. i've always thought of it as a gift I, I think it's um you know it's just a look into what else we can't see we get to sort of peek at some of the other things that we're not able to perceive I yeah mean, i mean probably the most weirdest thing that's happened is i had near-death experience now that that one was a you know it changed my life so okay i'm i'm listening <laughs> I um, I don't know. It was during a seizure. I had a seizure. I was out for about um thirty minutes or so, and during that time, I was completely aware. Um, but I was in this place of, of blackness, and there was sort of colors and sounds moving around me, and it was completely peaceful. I was at peace, a hundred percent. There was no pain, no mm -hmm. suffering. No, nothing. Just pure awareness. Can't really describe it. I bet. But, I bet that man, is incredibly it was, hard. It was, yeah, it was incredible. How long did it last? About a half hour. Wow. So you believe in life after death then? Uh, yeah. I, 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 I mean, our consciousness definitely keeps on going. Well, that's what, you know, is interesting. And people ask me that a lot. It, and you said it already. We are 99.9% .9 energy and light, and you can't destroy energy. It only changes form. So when we die, this meat suit we're walking around in, yeah, that that goes away eventually. But this the energy has to go somewhere. Yes. And I think that's what ghosts are and spirits are. And if you look at how they interact with this, it's almost always with frequency and energy. They manipulate lights, the TV flickers, your batteries drain. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to me pretty easy that, that, that that's what's going on is that they're manipulating the environment. The thing that I find interesting, Lloyd Arbach, uh, I've talked to him a few times and interviewed him, and he said he believes that when we see them, for instance, a full-body apparition, we aren't seeing them through the eyes. We're seeing them through mental images that they're projecting into our mind. That's why five people can be in a room and, and see different things and not see what the other person saw at all. Uh, they could smell perfume, and the others didn't. And he believes that the entity is imprinting on our minds what it wants us to experience. Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating. And I believe the same thing about aliens. Exact same thing. You know, that's why that technique works, where if you open yourself up and just sort of call out to see it, you'll see it. You yeah. just have to be open to the experience. And once you're open to it, it's, uh, you know... It's there. It, it shows up, and it's just mind-blowing. 
And once it's happened to you, you can't go back. No. I mean, that's that's the thing is that, you know, there's no way I could ever be a skeptic uh, after all of this. But yeah. I just, you're such a fascinating host to talk to. You know so many different things. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I've been doing this now for, I mean, I, when I interviewed you the first time, was I, was, I was still pretty new. And... um now I'm almost at 500 episodes. It's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Do you ever feel like, what am I going to do if I run out of topics? No, no. There's, <laughs> there's always new information coming out. You know, even if it's an old yeah. topic, there's always something, a new way of looking at it. Yeah. So, no, there's always something. Well, I, I always appreciate you having me on because I learn a lot from you, and it's just enjoyable to talk to you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you back on. Um, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and to get your books? Uh, they're all on Amazon. The easiest is just to type Rebecca F, as in Frank, Pittman, into the browser on Amazon and all the books pop up. This mm -hmm. will be my 16th coming up. What a lot of people don't know is I also wrote a children's uh, adventure called T.J. Fennel and the Well of Ghosts. And it has four more sequels coming out. But it's been compared to Harry Potter and Fable Haven, which I really appreciate. That was great. Well, of course it had to be ghost scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. I appreciate the shout out. And um, I hope you have me back. And in the meantime, Happy New Year. You too. Thank you for being on. And um, I'll put a link to your website and to your books in the notes to this episode so my listeners can find you. And, thank you. Um, just hang on for one moment and I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you.